The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Our focal text this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll pick up in verse 17. If you don't have a copy of the Bible with you, there's a copy of the Scripture under a chair in front of you. We're on page 958 in the Chair Bible. I want to extend a welcome to all who are guests with us today. Maybe your first time, maybe you've been here before. We'd like to draw your attention to a Connect card in the back of the chair. And we'd like for you to take that card, fill out the information for you or your family, and drop that in the offering plate toward the end of our service, and that will let us know that you were here worshiping with us today. We'll reach out to you accordingly. We will not show up at your home unannounced in any way. I want to also encourage you, if you've been visiting Parkwood, you're considering maybe this ought to be your church home. Today uh, is every month, but today begins a new and a fresh our membership class. It's four weeks. Uh, You don't have to take it in four successive weeks, but we do it every month. The first week is always week one and et cetera throughout. But today's a day to start at noon and fresh. It starts at 11 o'clock downstairs in Worship 110 uh, building. Uh, If you do not know how to get there, someone could help you from the information desk. And we want to continue in our spirit of worship today and we'll culminate in receiving of the Lord's Supper after we are instructed from God's Word on a very specific teaching on the Lord's Supper from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning verse 17, which I invite you to stand for the reading of the Word of the Lord. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worst. From the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat or drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Let's pray. Father, 
we acknowledge this is your holy word. And we acknowledge that you have written your word not only to the church of Corinth, but to us today. So help us to make sense of a very specific way the Lord's Supper was being mishandled and show us how to make application to us collectively as the body of Christ here and to us individually as we approach the table, particularly today. So lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. In order to understand this text, you've got to approach what's being said here from what was happening in the first century in Corinth. Corinth was a Roman city. This part of the world followed a Roman calendar. That means that your work week was 10 days, not seven. Now here's where the issue came in. As Christians, the Jews also did this, as Christians, they were still celebrating worship on the seventh day. They were gathering together on Sundays as they followed the calendar to celebrate the Lord's resurrection. However, that meant quite often the seventh day fell on a work day. In fact, more often than not. So the way you gathered for worship is you gathered in the evening in someone's home. There were no church buildings at this point in time. This is a new fledgling church. Now, in order for people to come together, it had to be a larger home. And for it to be a larger home, it had to be someone who was more wealthy than others. So here's how it would transpire. Most often in a normal day, the wealthy, because they controlled their schedules more than others, were the first ones to show up. Because they could afford it, they brought food. The person who had the home provided the food. The latecomers were the working class and the poor who would arrive late many of them without bringing any food with them. Don't think potluck. And when they would show up, they would hardly find anything to eat. And to their horror, some who had come early are drunk from the wine. As a result of this, many of these Lord's Supper gatherings looked like pagan dinners or feasts that had been addressed earlier in Corinth. So this text confronts a wrong approach to the Lord's Supper and lays out a way forward for them which needs to affect us. So here's our main idea today. The Lord's Supper must be approached as one body with humble awareness and sober recognition. Now, here's what needs to be influencing you. Once again, Paul is bringing 1 Corinthians 10.31 to bear. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever it is you do, do it all the glory of God. And certainly... Certainly, this eating and drinking of the Lord's Supper should be done to the glory of God. So how does this happen? First, the Lord's Supper must be approached as one body with humble awareness instead of division. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, verse 17, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. From the first place, when you come together as a church, so they're claiming to come together as a the body of Christ, the gathering of Christians. Not at a church, but as a church. I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Now, divisions have been an issue that Paul has been addressing since the onset of the letter. So back in chapter 1, verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you. And he goes on to explain they were lining themselves up, up behind their famous preacher and even down to the point to say, I follow Cephas or I follow Christ or Paul or Apollos. And then he asks this question, is Christ divided? Now that ought to ring in your minds as you're moving through this text. How can you come to the Lord's Supper as a divided people? Is Christ divided? The human heart is prone to division. And in an age of selfishness, division runs rampant in every area of our lives. And sadly, it is drug into the congregation of God's people. And division comes when people demand their way and get other people to line up with them so that they can demand together their way. And these divisions were making a mockery of the gatherings of the people, particularly as it related to the receiving of the Lord's Supper, when it's supposed to be a moment to where we give evidence of the unity of the body of Christ. So instead of this being a unifying event, it was the antithesis of it. Now let's just think for a moment. On your way here, you and your family went at it. You argued over silly stuff. Like whether your kid combed their hair. Or how fast your husband was driving or your wife. Then you got here and made an offhanded comment about how somebody looked before you got out of the car who just pulled up beside of you. Then you walked in the lobby and made a negative comment about someone or something else. Then you came in here and intentionally snubbed someone because oh, there they are again. How can we act like this? How can we then take what Jesus left us to do? Paul says, this is not for the better. This is for the worst. Now, ultimately, how does such behavior take a foothold in us individually and in us as a people? The answer is simple. It's selfishness. When the world becomes about me, about what I want and the way I want it. So the Lord's Supper is a place that we must approach it with a humble awareness instead of selfishness. Verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Now that is a highly convicting sentence. You know what Paul's saying? I don't care if you're passing out bread and wine. I don't care. I don't care if somebody's saying, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. I don't care if you're doing that. What you're doing is not the Lord's Supper. You can call it that all you want to call it, but that's not what it is. You're doing something absolutely different because in eating, he says, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. You got to understand what was happening. So 
You go back to Acts chapter 2, you see the description of the early church. The breaking, they were committed to the breaking of bread. Historically, what you find in the early church, what they would celebrate is what was been later been called a love feast. So they would seek to mirror what happened at the Seder event with Jesus in the upper room. Jesus began by breaking the bread, or he first they had a, multiple cups they drank from, but he would break the bread, he broke the bread, he offered it to them, then they ate a meal. If you read the text closely, you see that. Then they ate a meal. Then they come to the end of the meal, and he offers them the final cup. So here's what the church would do. They would begin, somebody would break the bread, they would say, we're doing this in remembrance of Christ. They would receive the bread. Then they would have a meal together, when they finished the meal, then someone would present the cup, and then the cup would be received. Now, here's what was happening. Instead of waiting on the church together, the grumpy old men in the room had to eat. This is how it played out, probably. We're not waiting on them. So somebody got up and broke the bread, and the meal ensued. And here's how the logic went. My house, my food. So eat. So they ate it all. Plenty of wine, drink it. So then other people showed up and there's nothing for them to eat. It's a quote. It was not the Lord's Supper they were eating since there were divisions, factions, and selfishness reigning during the supper. It cannot be the Lord's Supper, according to Paul, if evil runs rampant surrounding the meal. So what do you do? How, how do you change this mentality? So in my reading and research, one of the writers said, here's one of the things that had to happen. Is that whomever's home this was taking place in had to have this mentality. When this group of people, the church, when they gather at my house, it's no longer my house. It's now a sacred place where a sacred event is to unfold. So what's got to happen is that the Lord's Supper has to be approached as one body with humble awareness. Now go down to verse 33. And he gives the application of what he wants them to do. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it would not be for judgment about the thing, other things. I would give directions when I come. So there's some other parts of this he wants to address, but not recorded. So what he wants you to do is to avoid the Lord's Supper from being turning into a need for judgment. And we'll explain what that judgment is later in the message. For, for now... What, what, what are the things we need to do? First, it's not a primary means of nourishment. So this is why, over the history of the church, they've abandoned the love feast. Now, some people still do this. Hopefully it can be done in good conscience and done the right way. But to avoid the meal from becoming the focus, we want to keep the focus on what the Lord led us to do. The second thing that you got to be learned here is that you got to wait for each other. Wait for one another, he says. So this event 
should always prompt humility as we remember the humility of Christ, that we put others before ourselves, that we say, this supper is not about me. This is something that I'm sharing together with the body of Christ. We do this together. Now, what this has led to is, for those in leadership like me, is to to say, then how do we share the Lord's Supper in such a way that we approach it with humble awareness? Well, one of the ways you can lay down a, a dichotomy of how you would do it is either formally or informally. Now, I still distinctly remember the first time I, I, I received the Lord's Supper. I was a fairly new believer. And, and I remember sitting in the back. And I was excited about this. But I remember sitting toward the back thinking, this is a joke. It was so formal. like a bunch of military. The pomp and circumstance was incredibly distracting. And then the moment that bothered me the worst is that the pastor sat in this big chair and in my brain, in my brain, it was like a throne. He sat down in this big chair and somebody went up and served him. He was the last person to get the the meal. I, I was completely distracted and it all felt disingenuous to me. Then the opposite side of that is informal. Well, Corinth is the height of informal. They had become so informal, they forgot what they were doing to the point that Paul says, it's not even the Lord's Supper. So I I had one youth pastor say to me one time, "I I served communion at a camp and we didn't have the elements, so we used potato chips and Pepsi. And I said, well, you brought judgment on yourself, brother. To which he became incited with me. So you don't flippantly ever, ever offer up the Lord's Supper in an informally flippant way. So where's the tension in there? Here's what we want to do as a church. Now, I know some of you have written me letters, emails, and conversations about how we distribute. I want to I tell you what we're trying to accomplish. We're trying to accomplish serving a massive number of people in the least distracting way. So that in serving a massive number of people in the least distracting way, we say we are the body of Christ. So instead of bringing it to you individually, we come together to get it. We come together in a way that if you're not paying attention, you don't notice what's happening. That's the goal. Not where you're sitting back there going, is they ever going to get back here to me? They ever going to get back here to me? They ever going to get back here to me? None of you ever do that, do you? Brothers and sisters, let me just say this to you. And you're free to write me and talk to me. There's no perfect way to do this with a lot of people. You say, well, this what churches ought to be small. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute, time out. 
So there ought to be fewer of us? Really? The church ought to be small? We ought to limit the number? Oh, to God, that we would have massive problems of distributing the Lord's table. May he add to his number day by day those who are being saved. This is a shared event. Hear me. I'll say it one more time. I'm going to say it in the Gastonia vernacular. This ain't about you. It should be sober. That doesn't mean sad or depressed. It should be a serious, clearly focused moment with a tone of joy. The Lord's Supper must be approached as one body with sober recognition. Now here's the core of what we're doing. It is a sober recognition of the redeeming work of Christ. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. Now why does he add that line? One author said, it reminds us that the very institution of the meal from the beginning, someone betrayed him. And that's possible for you today. This is a serious moment. When he had given thanks, he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So let me be careful and clear here for a moment because many of you come from many different places. We are not Roman Catholic and we reject the Roman Catholic view of communion. They take this text literal to mean what they call transubstantiation, that the elements become physically the body and blood of Christ in an actual way. Lutherans believe in consubstantiation, which we also reject. They contend that Christ's body and blood are present in and with and under the bread, even though the substance does not change. Here's what we believe as a church reading from the Baptist Faith and Message. The Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of obedience whereby members of the church, through partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine, memorialize the death of the Redeemer, anticipate his second coming. We celebrate and remember that Christ, the sinless Savior, gave his life in our place. This is my body, which is for you. We remember Isaiah 53, 12 is fulfilled in Christ because, quote, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered among the transgressors, he bore the sin of many. That Christ was broken for us. The sinless Savior died in the sinner's place and bore our sins. In the same way he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, on the cross, drank the cup of God's wrath. It's what he prayed in the garden. Father, if it should be your will, let this cup pass from me. The cup was the cup of the wrath of God. Jesus drank the cup of the wrath of God so that now he offers to you the cup of the new covenant. What does that mean? That this cup represents the new covenant inaugurated by the blood of Christ. 
It's a reference to Jeremiah 31. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and write on their hearts and they will be my God and they, and they shall be their people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor saying to his brother saying, know the Lord for they will all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. When we receive of the the cup, we are reminding ourselves that this new covenant is ours in Christ. That our sin has been forgiven and he remembers our sin no more. We have been washed in the blood of Christ. This also means that as we take this cup of the new covenant, that there are blessings attached to this covenant and there are also curses. And that's what's so misunderstood about this text. That there are consequences for those who run over this covenant and ignore this covenant. We'll come to that in a moment. Before we do, let's consider verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is a quote. It is crucial for our understanding of the Lord's Supper that the remembrance is not an act of remembering a long-lost friend present only in the memories of the community. It is understood by all that the Lord who is being remembered and whose death is being proclaimed did not remain dead. He is living and present within the community and we celebrate together not only what he has done, but that he is coming. We proclaim his death until he comes because our Savior who died rose from the grave and is seated at the right hand of the Father and one day he shall return. So we come with a sober recognition of the work of Christ and we also come with a sober recognition of who we are in Christ. Now, this is the part of the meal that is missed by most. This is what Paul is bringing to attention here. That those who participate in this meal are recognizing the relationship to redemption that has been won by Christ, that we have been brought into the body of Christ, and those worldly distinctions that determined and defined us prior to coming to Christ no longer define us. So we don't come together and size each other up as rich and poor, or slave or free. We come together saved by grace, not by works or by our social standing. So whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now I have a confession to make. Prior to this day, I have mispreached 1 Corinthians 11 every time I've taken it up. Here's why. Because I preached it avoiding the context. And I interpreted what he meant by unworthy manner based off what I saw, not what Paul was saying. And I, like most pastors, have turned the unworthy manner to this super 
moment of looking into you, myself, and considering me. And that's not what he's talking about at all right here. What's the unworthy manner? The unworthy manner is I'm ignoring you. I'm running right over the top of you. To eat or drink in an unworthy manner is to eat or drink in a way that demeans, humiliate, or disrespects other members of Christ's community. So I have some questions then for me and for you. How can we receive from the Lord's table in a worthy manner, having snubbed, gossiped about, turned away in bitterness from, in bitterness and unforgiveness from another brother or sister this morning? How? How can some of you sit across this room from each other knowing how you feel about each other, and then pass this bread and cup through your lips. That's what Paul's asking. How can we think of ourselves as better than others and then come and receive this cup and bread in a worthy manner? Now, I do think we also have to consider ourselves and confession is a good thing. So we got to ask this question. How can we receive the Lord's Supper without acknowledging our sinfulness and need for Christ? How, how can a non-believer come in here this morning or a functional non-believer? What's a functional non-believer? That's a person who gives absolutely no indication in their life they're a Christian. That's a functional non-believer. How can a non-believer or a functional non-believer receive from the Lord's Supper? Chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians, he says, So examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus is in you unless, unless indeed you fail the test? on a mission trip in another part of the world and they served communion. And the pastor served everybody. He took the elements and he walked through the audience offering it to people. And several of the people would go. Someone would take it. And he kept moving back and forth through the audience. Finally, everybody in the room took it after many. Once we got out in the debrief time, people from our group were going, oh, that was so humble. That was so moving to watch those people until they got their hearts right with Jesus. They didn't take it. And I said, no, it wasn't. It wasn't humble at all. It was one of the most arrogant receivings of the Lord's Supper I've ever seen. What did I say earlier? This ain't about you. Paul says, examine yourself and eat. We're not doing anything that's drawing attention to us. We're just coming in the right way when we come. 
So we must acknowledge, we must acknowledge this. There's nobody in this room good enough to take communion. None of you. None of us. If you think you're good enough to take it, you're in big trouble. Because you don't understand the grace of God. If you think you're not good enough to take it, you're in big trouble because you don't understand the grace of God. What we're all acknowledging is that Christ has saved us in spite of ourselves. We could not ever save ourselves. But we also examine ourselves. Why? Verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body. Now, what does discerning the body mean? A lot of disagreement about it. I'm going to interpret it contextually, meaning in context. I think, and there are people that I respect their Bible knowledge more than mine who disagree with me on what I'm going to say next. But I think contextually, discerning the body means the body of Christ. Anyone who drinks or drinks without discerning the body drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So the focus of the supper is Jesus and his righteousness for us, his having drunk the cup of the Father's wrath. We are not the focus of the supper. To fail to recognize is not only sin, it also brings judgment. Now let me offer a warning here. He is not saying, nor is the Bible teaching, that all sickness and illness and death is the direct result of some sin that you committed. However, he is saying, it is a real and distinct possibility for those who flippantly and without humble thought partake of the Lord's Supper. Now let's understand the judgment he's talking about here. He is not talking about the final judgment. He is talking about a disciplinary judgment. He says some who have died, or in other translations, fallen asleep. Now this falling asleep may be the better way to put it in, in the scripture because he never uses this phrase, the Bible never uses the phrase falling asleep to describe unbelievers. So this suggests that Paul does not have the final judgment in his sights. And he even clearly says that we may not be condemned along with the world. What he's talking about here is a disciplinary judgment Akin to Hebrews 12, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So, we should humbly, soberly ask are we flippantly coming to the table, and are we coming to this table having mistreated? the body of Christ. Every instance of receiving the Lord's Supper should be a sober recognition. So how do we do this? How do I know I'm approaching the Lord's Supper in the right manner? I just have two simple answers. Two very simple answers. Our focus is on the redeeming work of Christ. 
That's the focal point. So when you're here and, or anywhere and they're offering the Lord's Supper, don't, you, you don't need to be out there battling going, I do it this way, I do it this way, I do it this way. Preachers never do that. Wink, wink. That should, the question is, is the focus Christ? Then self, shut up. The focus here is Jesus. Second, are we recognizing that we are a part of the body of Christ? <laughs> you notice, I don't get online and send an email and say, hey, tonight's Thursday night. All of you get in your living room and take communion. That's not what we do. We come together as the body and we receive it together because this is not a hyper-individualized moment. This is a shared moment when we were reminded we're a part of the body of Christ. So, or so what? Am I or are we approaching the Lord's Supper as one body with humble awareness and sober recognition? So in a hyper-individualized society, communion can lose its emphasis particularly if we stop seeing it as a community event. So to see it rightly as a community event, we don't need to look at Corinth and just be discouraged. We need to say then, how should it be done? Well, what is Paul appealing to? He's appealing to the first event. And because of his language, he's quoting from Luke. So let's go over to Luke's gospel and look at the first event and let's see what we see here, how it affects us. Luke 22, verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and he given thanks. He said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you from now on that I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So Jesus earnestly desired to do this with the disciples. Christ earnestly desires in leaving this to his people that his people gather and regularly remember. He is honored when it is his people who do it and when he gathers with us in glory, he's not going to single us off one by one when he drinks of the fruit of the vine in the kingdom. He's going to drink it with us. And he took bread and he given thanks and he broke it. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup. So does that mean he gave thanks again? Whatever, whatever he did, it was, it was very similar. This cup is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Brothers and sisters, 
Jesus is not here to physically offer this to us by breaking the bread and handing it to us and handing us the cup. But brothers and sisters, Jesus has given us this to remember what he has done and and to consciously think. We're going to we're going to celebrate with him when he comes. That, that this is going to be culminated together. So, we're going to now share. We're going to do it the way we've been doing it now for a while. And I want you to listen very carefully to me. Or you're moving. I'll, I'll wait for you to move. All the ADD people have trouble when there's a lot of movement. All right. You got your stuff down there? You got plenty of time for this. You got plenty of time. I'm not in a hurry. Okay. In a moment, we're going to have different stations all around you in the worship center. I just asked, somebody asked me this earlier, and it was a good conversation. Why are there women serving? Because there's neither male nor female in the body of Christ. There's my answer. There's nowhere in the Bible that tells me men have to serve communion. Nowhere. You can infer it. There's young and old, rich and poor, male and female who are going to serve you. They're a part of you. You're not being served by hierarchy. You're being served by the body, to the body. That's on purpose. You move to the station near to you, you get both elements. You're not in a hurry in any way. Now, I know some of you are wired to be in a hurry. They're going to sing a six and a half minute song. That's way more time than we need for all of you to peacefully move and get it and return to your seat. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to hold the elements today. This is what's different. We're going to receive them together at one time. It's going to be a little different because they're going to sing a very rousing song. You sing. You're just going to have a hard time what to do with your hands. I confess that in the meaning. If you want to stand up during the song, that's fine. It's whatever you choose. You're certainly free to remain seated and sing. We're going to sing. Or at the end of that song, I'm going to lead us to receive it together. And then we're going to have one final celebratory song before we receive our offering and conclude. So, if everyone would come and get in place, once you're in place, I'm going to offer a brief prayer, and then we're going to move to where we need to be. If you'll notice, there are people not just in, in front of you, uh, but also around you. Folks are still getting in place upstairs. Um, if this happened at 8 o'clock, uh, there was a big group, huge group over here, and nobody was over here. You don't have to go to the station close to you. Go to the best place to get it. 
Okay? So as, as we're doing this, let me offer a simple prayer. And let's just do this. Let's remember. Father, there's not 12 of us in a room. There's almost 600 of us in a room. So help us not lose the meaning and how we get the elements. Calm down the people in a hurry. May we all overcome our rudeness. And may we now with humility move and prepare our hearts through examination as we receive together. Holy Spirit, lead now, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.